Good to see you again this morning. So as you are well aware at this point, we are launching into our week of prayer. And, you know, I love this particular week each year. I think it's just such a great way to start off a new year, you know, for us as a a congregation collectively to commit ourselves to prayer. And we've done that over the past few years. And this year, as we sat down, um, a group of us uh, pastors together, as we sat down and began to kind of, you know, talk through what the week would look like, just early on in the conversation, the the topic of uh, fasting came up. And the more we talked about it, the more we uh, really sensed that the Lord was leading us to include fasting in our week of prayer. We haven't done that previously uh, or, you know, put any emphasis on it, but, but we really felt led um, to do that this year. And so we're going to be talking about both prayer and fasting today. And, and I want us to see how that combination of things is really important at certain times. And I, I even sense that it's a, you know, sort of a strategic um, ap- approach to this year based on just kind of what's happening uh, all around the world and, and what's happening with us and what's happening with the church. So we're going to come back to the passage that we just read together where Jesus spoke about the topic of fasting, but we're going to start off with another uh, well-known verse on prayer, and that is from James chapter 5. And there in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, James says this, and many of you will be familiar with this passage, but it says there, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, or could be translated, has great power. And then he goes on and he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This is one of those uh, just great texts on the subject of prayer found here in the New Testament. And I know for me, this particular verse, um, the Lord keeps bringing this passage back to my mind. One of the ways he does it is I have a plaque in my office that has this verse on it. But you know how it is when you have pictures or a plaque or you know something on your desk. It can just kind of blend in with everything. You don't even really notice it anymore. But the, the one thing that happens to me so frequently with this particular plaque is I will find myself just sort of, you know, my mind's wandering or whatever. And then as, my, as I get my focus fixed, I'll be looking right at that verse. And every time that happens, it's like the Lord speaking to me once again. You know, Brian, remember this. Don't forget this. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And, it, you know, it just keeps coming back to me. The Lord saying, pray, pray more. All of the things that are on your heart, all the things that are on your mind, all the things that are perplexing or troubling or frustrating or whatever it is, this is, this is the answer. So what I want to do today is I want to kind of look at this text and just draw out three particular things from the text. But before we do that, I want to read to you a couple of different things on prayer. And the first one that I want to read to you comes 
down to us from way, way back in the fourth century. And this is such a great word on prayer. It was uh, originally, it was written by um, John Christostrom. And uh, this was a a man who lived in the fourth century. He was a leader in the church. But it was back in those days when the church didn't have a whole lot of political clout or, you know, access to rulers and things like that. It was a time in the church's history where there was really a, a very needed and great dependence on the Lord and on uh, the tools that God has given us, prayer being one of them. So let me read it to you. I've, I've, I've shared this quote before because it's so powerful. But he said this. He said, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, alleviated disease, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction. Prayer is an all-efficient armory, a treasure undiminished, a mind which is never exhausted, a sky unclouded, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Think about that. That is the power of prayer. That is the kind of thing that we need to understand when we exercise the great privilege we have of prayer. Back in the time of the Civil War, there was a man who ministered as a chaplain, actually, in the um, in the, the military then. And uh, his name was, uh, he goes by his initials, E.M. Bounds. And E.M. Bounds wrote pr- prolifically on the topic of prayer. And I wanna quote to you a couple of things that he said. He said, God is vitally concerned that men should pray. Men are bettered by prayer and the world is bettered by praying. God does his best work for the world through prayer. God's greatest glory and man's highest good are secured by prayer. Prayer forms the godliest men and makes the godliest world. Prayer is the easiest and the hardest of all things, the simplest and the most splendid, the weakest and the most powerful. Its results lie outside the range of human possibilities. They are limited only by the omnipotence of God. So just the, again, the impact of prayer, the, the power of prayer. And then the poet uh, Tennyson, Alfred Lord Tennyson, he wrote this in a poetic fashion regarding prayer. He said, there is a place where thou canst touch the eyes of blind men to instant perfect sight. There is a place where thou canst say, arise to dying captives bound in chains of night. There is a place where thou canst reach the store of hoarded gold and free it for the Lord. There is a place upon some distant shore where thou canst send the worker and the word. Where is that secret place? Dost thou ask where? O soul, it is the secret place of prayer. And it's so true. And you know, prayer is this just this amazing privilege that we have. And yet, sometimes we uh, forget that. Oftentimes, we neglect it. Oftentimes, we we sort of do everything but pray, don't we? And yet, this is is the power source. And this is the great privilege that we have as 
the children of God. Now, in looking at what James said there, the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. First of all, I want you to notice the, the words effective, fervent prayer. Um, effective, fervent, it's, it, it's actually one word in the Greek that's, that's translated with both of these English words. And the word is the word energeo. And that is the word from which our English word energetic comes. Energetic, energize, energy. So the English translators wanting to really, you know, the best they could get, get the point across here, they used two words to translate one, effective fervent or effectual fervent as the old translation reads. And so the idea here is that it is prayer that is energized. It is prayer that is passionate. It is prayer with intensity. You see, that's really one of the keys to, to praying powerfully. It's, it's praying with intensity. It's praying with, with conviction, really. You know, it's not how long you pray. It's not how well you pray in the sense of, of uh, using the, the exact right words and phrases. It's not that. It's the intensity of the heart that really matters in prayer. So you could say uh, a 10-second prayer with just this deep passion that is actually much more powerful than a 30-minute prayer that's prayed lethargically or without a whole lot of intensity or passion in it. And so this is the kind of prayer that produces results, the effect of fervent prayer. And then as it goes on, it speaks about uh, earnest prayer. Elijah, he prayed earnestly. And the word there is a word that means uh, to be serious, or it's the idea of really being focused. You know, sometimes I find myself kind of unfocused in prayer. I find myself sort of praying haphazardly, just sort of randomly, you know, just, oh, kind of whatever comes to my mind. And, you know, if nothing comes to my mind, then I don't really pray that much. But the idea here is that you're, you're really focused in and you're, you're concentrating. It's a concentrated prayer on a particular thing that you're, you're talking to the Lord about. And so it's that effective, fervent prayer. It's that earnest prayer. And, you know, the newer translations like the ESV, for example, or even the NLT, they just simply translate this that the, um, they, they translate it as a, the powerful prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's the idea. It's a powerful prayer because it's prayed with passion and intensity and energy and it's focused and it's an effective prayer. It avails much. And avails much means that it accomplishes its objective. Now, do we believe, this is a question we've got to ask ourselves, do we really believe in prayer? Do we really believe in the power of prayer? Have you prayed and seen God work? Have you cried out to him and seen his intervention in your life? I, I'm sure that many of you have. I certainly have. Obviously, there are times as well we pray about things that doesn't seem like anything's happening. 
But by faith, we trust, we believe, we know that, that God hears prayer. And remember the, the passage here in James, James illustrates all of this with Elijah. And he tells us something about Elijah that is very important for all of us to remember, that he was a man with a nature like ours. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, I don't know if my prayer is really going to be heard because I'm not that, I, I'm not that spiritual. I'm not that devoted. I haven't had that kind of consistency in my devotional life or, you know, those kinds of things. And we look at our weaknesses and we look at our failures and then we think that, well, you know, why would God hear my prayer? But the Lord's reminding us here that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah had his ups and downs. He had his moments of great faith. He had his moments of doubt and unbelief. He had his moments of courage. He had his moments of despair. But he prayed fervently and God heard him, answered his prayer very specifically. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed that it would rain and it did rain. And so this passage here in James is a reminder to us as we enter into this week of prayer, as we enter into this new year with a focus on prayer. This is a reminder to us that energetic, passionate, focused prayer produces results. We are going to see God work as we pray. But then we come to this next component of fasting. Now, in the passage that we read together today, the context there, as you saw, is the, the disciples are unable to deliver this boy from demonic possession, and Jesus comes and he does that. And they're perplexed. Their question to him is, Lord, why couldn't we do that? Now, they had done this before, this is not the first encounter with the demonic that's recorded for us in the Gospels. They had had previous successes over those who were under the control of demons. But in this particular case, they were not able to deliver this boy. And so they asked the Lord, why couldn't we do that? Well, he tells them, first of all, that it had to do with their unbelief. But then the second thing he said was this. He said, this kind but this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. So what Jesus did there is he, he seemed to indicate that there are varying levels of power in the de demonic realm. And that certain demonic spirits are so powerful that there is additional power that is needed to deal with them. And so that was the problem. Jesus said, this kind cannot come out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, the reason that I think this is very relevant for us is because I think we're living in a time when the world itself has come under the authority of even more powerful spirits, evil spirits, than have been exercising their power uh, in recent times. You know, we, we, we've entered into a new season where there is obviously just this real 
uh, open, hostile revolt against God and the, and the things of God. And we see it in many different ways uh, in the world today and in our culture today. And in some ways, it, it is very reminiscent of, I think, the spirit that was uh, dominating the world scene back in the days of the Second World War. You know, if you think of the whole thing with, with Germany and Nazism and Hitler and all of that, you know, this was a spiritual thing. This was something beyond just human evil. There was like, just like an unleashing of demonic power over that, that nation and over those people in particular, the Nazis, and, and the, the kinds of things that they did, the horrific crimes that they committed, were really, in some ways, unprecedented. And yet we're kind of going back to that sort of a thing in the world today. Think just really quickly with me about a number of things that are happening in our world today and tell me if you don't agree that the, the world has come under a more powerful demonic influence. Think of radical Islam and what's happening. Now, we just had a, a missions conference, as some of you know. Thank you for praying for that. By the way, we had a tremendous, uh, tremendous conference, amazing conference. And, and although the conference didn't exclusively deal with ministry and to the Islamic world, we had quite a bit of that happening uh, at the conference, quite a bit of conversation about it and people that minister in that context and so forth. And I'll tell you, the, some of the stories that we were hearing were reminiscent to me of some of the atrocities that the Nazis committed. And back then, of course, much of, much of their hatred was, was directed toward the Jewish people. In this case, the, some of the stories we were hearing is the hatred of the extremist uh, Muslims toward the Christians in the Middle East. And we heard of unbelievable things. We heard of, of uh, young Christian converts being crucified at Easter time. The, the local imam saying, if you want to celebrate Easter, we're going to help you. We're going to crucify you. And they did. And many held fast to their profession of Christ and went to, the de went to their death on, on a cross, believing in Jesus. But some of the stories that I heard this past week are, are so horrific, I, I won't even tell you those stories. I mean, they are just unbelievable. But, you know, I've read enough on the Second World War and the atrocities of, of the Third Reich and so forth. It's just like, wow, there's strong similarities happening there. And one of the crazy things about this is you've got, this is spread much broader than things back in, in the days, back in the 40s. And uh, also you have this crazy denial that this is even really an issue or a problem coming from Western intellectuals. It's just really astounding. So that brings us to kind of another point there where you see the influence of, the, of these powerful demons on this generation. I don't know if you heard this or not, but the, the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year for 2016 is the word post-truth. Post-truth, what does that mean? Well, post-truth is a new idea that truth is not determined based on facts, but truth is determined based on feeling. So it doesn't really matter what the facts say in a certain situation. What really matters is just how you feel about it. So if you feel a certain way, even though the facts say something else, well, your feelings are what matters. Your feelings are basically gonna overrule the facts. 
And we see that working itself out in things like the, the whole trans, transgender revolution. We see that, right? I mean, it's a perfect example of, of where this idea of post-truth is being applied. The facts are people are born male or female, but there are people who are male or female by birth who don't feel that they are internally consistent with their gender, so they are switching genders. They're identifying themselves as the opposite sex of their biological sex, and the idea is that that is perfectly right and legitimate and normal and fine, and anyone who disagrees with that has the problem. That, that's, that's where we're at in Western culture today. I mean, so much so that Time Magazine is featuring transgender children on the cover. And so we've got just this crazy post-truth thing that's happening. And of course, we know that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus said that. He's a liar from the beginning. He did not abide in the truth. No truth is in him. When he speaks, he speaks a lie. So this is a, a deception that we see. So we see that there. We see it in the, the LGBT revolution and, and all of the things connected to that. But just in, a, in, in even a broader sense, there is a prevalent spirit of Antichrist that is, that is taking over so much of the world today. And so it's these kinds of things that I think are similar to the type of thing that Jesus was referring to when he said this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. These are more powerful demonic forces and therefore there has to be a more powerful effort to push them back. And so this is where Jesus adds the component of fasting. Now, now why would fasting be uh, that kind of a component that would add that sort of power, that would be able to deal with it? Well, I think simply stated, the reason that that's the case is because when a person is fasting and praying, all of your focus goes on the prayer. Because let's face it, one of the great distractions that we live with, especially in Western culture, in affluent culture, is food, right? If we're not distracted by actually eating, we're distracted by what we are going to eat. We're thinking about it. You know how much I, of my life I spend thinking about what I'm going to eat and when I'm going to eat it and where I'm going to eat it at? I mean, it's just, you know, it's just the reality, right? It's not, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just the truth. So one of the things that happens when we fast is we get that out of the way for a season. So I'm not distracted by that and I can focus in and, and that's kind of the thing. And as we talked about bringing in the addition of fasting to our prayer time this, this year, all of us were agreeing that you know, when you add that, that fast in there, you just sort of up the, the level of intensity of the prayer. It just sort of automatically happens. And so we've not only decided, you know, to add the fasting, but to the prayer schedule, we decided to, you know, <laughs> since we're all going to be hungry and we don't want to be distracted thinking about that, we said, hey, let's pray every morning. Let's pray at noon. Let's pray at night all week long. So we can just keep the focus there. Now, when it comes to 
this whole thing again, certain demonic powers, which I think have risen up and taken hold of the culture today, those kinds of demonic powers are driven out only by the presence of Christ. And as we pray and as we fast, that's what we're praying for. We're praying for the power of the gospel of Christ to go forth in, in a fresh and in a significant way. Now, I want to talk for a minute just about fasting. There's a lot of mystery around fasting. Um, some years ago, a man wrote a book um, on spiritual disciplines. And in talking about fasting in the book, he, he had mentioned that he was unable to find anything written on the topic of fasting from the late 1800s all the way through the mid-20th century. He couldn't find anything that was written on it among Christians. It was something that sort of got lost in the shuffle, and partially because fasting was sort of misunderstood and misinterpreted in, in some of the uh, history of the church and it became a, a legalistic thing or just, it just became a weird thing. So at some point, somebody just said, Hey, we're just going to do away with this. Um, but he was talking about the, you know, the need to recover this thing uh, of fasting. But all of that to say, there's, there's a little bit of mystery about it, or there's at least a, a lack of information regarding, you know, just exactly what fasting is and why we do it and so forth. So let me just give you a little bit of instruction there. So the words fasting or fasted are mentioned about 24 times in the Old Testament and 10 times in the New Testament. Now, there are other references to fasting where, you know, the text is telling you about a particular fast that they did or whatever. But when it comes to sort of instruction or exhortation to fast, You've got 24 times in the Old Testament, 10 times in the New Testament. Fasting in the Old Testament was connected to, number one, repentance. So when the people were expressing their repentance before God, oftentimes it was through fasting. Secondly, fasting occurred during times when the, the people were crying out for uh, mercy during national calamities. And then thirdly, fasting was connected at times with a quest for greater uh, revelation from God. And so, for example, Daniel, Daniel is seeking to know the will of God at the end of the Babylonian captivity for the people. So he sets himself for 21 days to seek the Lord, to understand what God's plan is for the future. So sometimes fasting was uh, applied in that connection. Now, when it comes to the New Testament, fasting was seen mainly with times of seeking wisdom, direction, and power for the advancing of the kingdom of Christ through the gospel. So when you find fasting in the New Testament, apart from Jesus here mentioning uh, in the context of dealing with these evil spirits, Paul talks about fasting as uh, giving yourself to fasting as a, as a time of deeper consecration. But when you look in the book of Acts where there's references to fasting, it's always in seeking direction, wisdom, power to go forth with the gospel. Now, also in scripture, you find that there are different types of fasts. So, you know, somebody asked the question, well, okay, I want to fast. How do I do that? You know, the Bible doesn't give you a chapter on how to fast. 
It gives you a, a, a number of different examples of people fasting, but what you see there is that there is quite a bit of variety. So on the one hand, you have references to a total abstinence from food and even water. You find that with Moses. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. Now, you can't do that. Moses could only do that because he was in God's presence. You can't go 40 days without drinking and live. But Moses did because he was sustained by the presence of the Lord. But in the book of Esther, we find that there was a three-day fast that was called by Mordecai and that they were not to eat or drink for three days. We find in Acts chapter 9 that after Saul of Tarsus was converted, he was three days and three nights with no food or drink as well. So there you have a total abstinence. But then we come to, say, for example, Jesus, as he goes out into the wilderness and he's there 40 days, it says that he ate no food during those 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, he was hungry. So Jesus abstained from food. It doesn't say anything about water there. But then you have a partial fast that you see with Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his friends are going to fast and seek the Lord. But what they're going to do is they're going to abstain from the king's, it's called, they're called the king's delicacies. And they put themselves on a diet of vegetables and water. And so for 10 days, that's what they did. So the point in all of this is to say that when it comes to fasting, there's a lot of freedom to, to just sort of fashion your fast in a way that's the most suitable for you. But then there's also just various durations of fasting. We find fasting for a day in scripture. We find three days. We find seven days, 10 days, 21 days, 40 days. So again, there's no particular description on this is exactly what to do, and there's, there's no um, instruction on this is how long to do it. So these are the things that we largely determine on our own as we approach the subject. But what I want to do is I want to give some suggestions for us as we move into this time of fasting. And I want to, with that, I want to put forth the challenge to everybody to fast in some way in some way to fast. Uh, might not be like somebody else is going to do it. Myself and some of the pastors we've committed this week, we're just going all the way, just water only. And hopefully you won't need to see any of us this week because we might be really hangry, you know, and <laughs> you know how that happens when you're, <laughs> you're really... It's crazy because you're fasting to try to get spiritual, then your blood sugar's low and you're just, just so upset and uh, you don't want to tear somebody's head off. So hopefully that's not going to happen. But, uh, but anyway, that, that's, some of us are going to do that, but, but not everybody's going to do that. So here's the thing to keep in mind. Number one, fast in a way that suits you best. Now, some people actually have medical issues that are going to prevent them from being able to do like a full type of a fast. If you have any questions about that sort of a thing, you should ask your doctor if you're diabetic or you've got blood sugar issues. That's, that would just be wise to do before you commit to that. But I think even with those kinds of issues, you can, you know, you, you could fast a meal a day or you could take away two meals and just do one a day. Or you could take one day during the week and say, you know, on this day, I'm not going to eat lunch or whatever. So you fashion the fast according to what suits you best. 
But remember that our main objective is prayer. See, let's not lose sight of that. It's not that we're just going on a diet for a week. It's that we are focusing on prayer. And that's the thing that we have to keep in mind. We want to take this week, and this is largely what what fasting helps with, to take this week to focus on our spiritual lives and the spiritual life of our church and the spiritual life of the church in general. So that's what we're doing. So we want to we want to focus in. We want to zero in. We want to be looking at this as a time where the Lord can do something fresh in us that's going to not just impact us for the week, but that's going to kind of set a a fresh course for us for the for the whole year ahead and even beyond that. So, do what suits you best. Remember our main objective is prayer and focus on the things of the Spirit. And we're really looking for God to pour out His Spirit in a fresh and in a powerful way, both upon His church and then upon the outside world. That's really what we're aiming for as we pray. Because what we radically need, what we desperately need, is another great awakening We need the Spirit of God to move across this land. We need the Spirit of God to move around the world. And and let me just say, God is moving in, in extraordinary ways in many places. But as we look around us today and as we see the the spiritual landscape, as we see those things that indicate that there's a greater demonic uh, power being exerted over the world today, we need... uh, God to counter that with a great work of his spirit uh, within the church and out in the world in an awakening. And these things are often uh, preceded by times of prayer, seasons of prayer and fasting. Back in the days of John Wesley in the 1700s in England, uh, Wesley wrote concerning fasting among the churches in London. He said, the fast day was a glorious day such as London has scarce seen since the restoration. Listen to this. He said, every church in the city was more than full and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God hears prayer and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. Wouldn't that be amazing if all the churches were filled up to overflowing? Wouldn't that be astounding? That has happened numerous times over in history. There have been times when God will pour out his spirit. And in one of the great revivals, believe it or not, in New York City, back in the 1800s, a revival that started out with with a handful of people, like 10 people praying. A few years later, every noontime, there were over 100,000 people gathered to pray in that region. So God moves in powerful ways through prayer and through fasting. Spurgeon, 100 years after the time of Wesley, he said this. He said, our seasons of prayer and fasting at the tabernacle, that was his church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. He said, they've been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer the central glory. And so we are believing God to work among us 
in this week of prayer and fasting. And E.M. Bounds said this, I'll close with this. He said, every mighty move of the Spirit of God has had its source in the prayer chamber. Prayer is, it's a power that I would venture to say most of us have not realized the power that we have right there before us with this amazing privilege and opportunity to pray. And so I pray that this coming week, we would just have a fresh sense of of how vitally important this is and, and what a great privilege it is. And remember this, as we pray, we are going into battle. This is the battle. This really is. You ever notice how hard it is to pray sometimes? Ever notice how you can be wide awake and your, your mind is sharp and you're ready to go and then you sit down for a time of prayer and suddenly you can't keep your eyes open, you can't think? Can't tell you how many times I've been so excited about coming to prayer. Can't wait to get to the prayer meeting. Every Wednesday morning in my office, I meet with some of the pastors from the area and we sit and we spend an hour together in prayer. And you know what? On my way over, I'm so excited to pray with these guys. Can't wait to get here and pray. We get in that room, sit down, and I can't think of a single thing to pray about. It's like, what happened? But it's, it, the reality is, this is, when we go into prayer, I, we are just marching right, you know, we're marching right into enemy fire. That's what we're doing. The enemy will push back. He will try to discourage us. And even as we look at this, this prayer week, and, you know, maybe we've been anticipating it, and we're excited about it, and don't be surprised if... Suddenly this week, you're just feeling like, oh, I don't know if I really want to pray or not. That's going to happen because the devil doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want me to pray. He doesn't want us to pray because this is where the power of God is unleashed against the work of the enemy. This is where the captives are set free. This is the the underlying, the foundational thing that has the potential to bring about so many other things that are damaging to the kingdom of God. Let me close by reading uh, Chrysostom's uh, words once again. Remember, the potency of prayer, the power of prayer subdued the strength of fire, bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy. Think about this in our context today, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons. We're talking about that today. Burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, alleviated disease, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction. You know, as we look at all of the insanity that we are, just find ourselves in the midst of, what do we do about this? How can we make a difference we can make a a huge difference because we have the privilege of prayer and prayer unleashes the power of God. So Lord, help us, help us this week, Lord, not to faint, not to grow weary. Help us to persevere, help us to pray. Lord, bless our times as we gather together this week. Lord, may you meet us, may you do 
an awesome work in our midst. And Lord, may you just work in your church. Lord, we pray for our county. We pray for all the churches around the county. Pray your blessing, Lord. We pray for our state. And oh Lord, we need your mercy. We need your church to be strengthened here in our state, all across our country, all around the world. Lord, we pray as we commit ourselves this week to seeking you in prayer and fasting, Lord, that you would do great and awesome things. So strengthen us, empower us, give us grace to seek you. And Lord, we pray that you would work in great and awesome ways. You said, call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Lord, that's what we're going to do this week. We're going to call upon you and we thank you that you're going to answer and we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.